When did we stop singing? When did we stop gathering around the campfire and making music together? When did the song become a spectator sport? Today's guest, Ashana, is here to encourage us to sing once again, use our voices, play music, and gather together again in community. It doesn't have to be perfect to be healing. Join us to find out more. Soul Nectar Show. The Soul Nectar Show. You're invited, delighted to discover who you are. Anything is possible if you believe. To join us on this beautiful journey. Soul Nectar Show. Soul Nectar Show. Before we start this episode, I, Carrie Hummingbird, and I, Akeem Sami, want you to know that you are invited. You're invited to, to join, join Soul Nectar, Nectar Tribe. If you like what you hear on Soul Nectar Show, you will love being in person with us in Soul Nectar Tribe. We invite you to check it out. First 30 days is free. Right now, go to CarrieHummingbird.com. K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com, forward slash membership, and sign up. We'll We'll see you at at our our next next tribe gathering. And now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection with that which is bigger than us, with the great mystery beyond the veil, with those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably into a deeper understanding of ourselves and this planet and the galaxies and who we are in truth and love beyond our limited understanding of ourselves when we first maybe show up and we have the shadow of forgetting and we might walk around the planet wondering, well, who am I? What am I doing in this body for a while? And then kind of get the hang of life. You know, I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird. And I love to have these conversations about the awakening process and hear different people's stories about how they came to understand themselves in a larger way, a larger context than maybe we start off with in that shadow of forgetting and thinking that we're just the physical body. I remember I thought I was one solid thing and that was was me. It was one solid thing called Carrie. And as I started deepening in my understanding of myself through psychotherapy and some meditation and some other avenues and always keeping my my creative channel open, which I think was such a blessing for my own awakening, keeping that artistic channel open, I realized I'm not one thing. Like I'm so far from one thing. I don't even know how many things I am, but I'm way more than one thing. And I wonder what all those things are that I am and how do I access all that? And, you know, and then I just began this process of dialing back all the places that were really, really rigid and stuck and coming into more fluidity in my life and in my heart and in my journey. And so I'm always interested in how people get there. And also this really beautiful part about my own journey of awakening has taught me that everything that I reveal to myself every place that I deepen within my own heart, every craggy edge that I smooth 
with some compassion and self-love, all of that leads to a deeper love and compassion within me that's actually reflected in the sound that I make. And now, isn't that interesting that my sound of my voice reflects my consciousness and my state of being with myself? So fascinating. And that sound is where we began. First, there was the word. And think about that for just a second. First, there was the sound, the sound of you that you make with your voice. Wow. Powerful. So we're going to dive into sound today, everyone. It's just so exciting. I have a beautiful guest with us today, Ashana, who is uh, a premier healing music artist and new age vocalist of our time, really been doing this for such a long time and creating powerful vocals and that sound angelic and combining that with this celestial sound of alchemy created by crystal singing bowls. So amazing. And now apparently into harps as well. So the journey continues and weaves and winds its way as we explore ourselves through many dimensional aspects of self and today through sound. So I welcome you, Ashana, to our broadcast today. Oh, thank you, Carrie. I'm so happy to be here and be with you. It's thrilling. <laughs> really glad to have you here. And you know, some things you should know about Ashana is that she's actually been hailed by listeners all over the world as breathtaking and a gift from heaven. And, you know, uh, these are things that are hard to accept about yourself at first. It's kind of like, <laughs> really? Uh, I had a friend who used to tell me, you sound, your voice sounds like an angel. And I'd say, really? That's so awkward. <laughs> but, you know, it's one thing that, yes, as we as we open our hearts and we really sing from the heart, I mean, it's just so healing, so healing. Um, and I know that, um, Shauna, you have led online group yoga meditations. You've touched the lives of more than 20,000 people in 50 countries. I mean, that's just tremendous healing work that you've been doing and also teaching crystal bowls. So everybody who's listening to the broadcast today, if you're like, oh my God, I've always wanted to explore crystal bowls or I've always felt called, you know, here's your opportunity to get to know someone who could be a teacher for you uh, in this process because she does teach crystal bowl mastery programs. So Tell us a little bit about, I know that you, you know, that you have this really interesting life now. You, you've all dedicated to this sound and sound healing and you have a beautiful husband, James Kawaii Nui. And, and to me, that indicates some Hawaii, Hawaii going on here. Yeah, big, So big, much Hawaii. A lot of Hawaii. <laughs> so tell us, tell us a little bit, wherever you want to start the story about you, you know, how you started awakening to all this. I'm, I know everyone's going to be fascinated to hear more. So wherever you want to start, let's jump in. Oh my God. Well, I have to tell you, Carrie, first of all, before we even go there, I love reading your book, The Second Wave. That has just been amazing. I've been so grateful to your insights and um, the sharings in that because they've definitely triggered more ahas inside of me. So I'm like, yay. I'm, I, you know, I'm super grateful to be sharing about, about my process, my journey, but I'm really grateful to be hanging out with you. <laughs> it's pretty cool, isn't it? Like if you think, I thought maybe I was insane, you know, writing this book. I'm like, what do I know about galactic beings? And I don't know anything about that. And I just had to trust, you know, it's one of those things like uh, you take the journey, right? And then other people go, my God, that's so true. It's yeah. so rewarding when we can connect on these things. Yeah. So tell me, 
let's focus on you now because this is your show. (laughs) So what do you want to tell us about you? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing when we talk about sound. And I was, again, you know, I was just reading in your book about how I think it was your son uh, or who cried for like six months. And I was the same way. I was exactly the same way. Uh, the story in my family goes is that uh, literally I did not shut up. I cried solid for six months. It didn't matter what anybody did. And so it was that that coming in was a vocal coming in for me. So I knew from the time I was, I was a very, very young child that I wanted to sing. I wanted to sing. What I realized over the years was that I needed to sing. It was my balancing. It was the place where I could self-soothe. And there was so much going on, you know, like many of us, uh, I did not have an easy childhood. And so singing and sounding, I can remember humming consistently when I was two and three years old, just constantly. And and I, if I close my eyes or even open my eyes and tune into it, I can still to this day tune in to the self-soothing created by humming when I was just a toddler. Yeah, I have a curiosity. I mean, this is just a, a personal curiosity, but through the work of the second wave, I actually realized and through some plant medicine ceremonies, you know, where things are more open for me and I can access that my son is actually the one who cried so badly. He was, he's actually like a 12th dimensional being. And this is like the first time that his kind has been back on the planet in thousands of years. And so I just imagine now, like, gosh, it must be really difficult for some galactic species to come back to this planet after so long. And it might be really painful to experience the shadows that are here at this level of frequency. Does any of that resonate with you as like part of your inner experience of why maybe you cried as a baby so much? Yeah, that actually resonates a lot, especially in the the last few years when I've been connecting more and more with where the sounds come from that come out of my mouth. You know, when you first introduced me, you said, oh, people see me, people call me breathtaking and a gift from heaven. I have to tell you that in some ways, that's that's like the Ashana persona, you know, that people talk about that's like that. And then when I'm just like Ashana hanging out in the house, you know, and I read and I hear stuff like that, I go, huh? I can so relate to that, yes. <laughs> Who are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> because because the Ashana, you know, t- that hangs out in the house, I imagine like the Carrie's hanging out in the house, you know, we're just like doing life. And then I'll go into the studio or I'll I'll get lost inside playing my bowls or singing or doing something. And these dimensional connections open up and it feels like home. It feels like it is the most spacious, kind, and I mean like kind, comforting, comfortable, normal. But the word that I hear is resilient, harmonious, balanced, effortless, and when I was recording um, 
it was like a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, I was recording for a project that's coming out next year, uh, the spring of next year. I was very, very conscious of the Orions. And I didn't know anything about Orion energy galactically. I still really don't. But I kept feeling like I was communing and speaking to the Orions while I was singing. So it was this, it's always been a very vertical, it's like a vertical core of light coming down that just expands out. And then inside it, the sound just weaves and moves around. And then there's a quieting and then it's over. I am so curious about this actually, because I've been studying the medicine of the jungle and working with the plants and um, been in the jungle with the Shipipo who sing beautiful Icaros. And I realized during ceremony, one of those times early on, I was like, oh my gosh, they're not like reciting a song. They're not sitting there thinking and practicing a song and having it come through in a beautiful way. They're actually in the moment and the song is singing them. It's like coming through from some Mm -hmm. other place beyond the veil that I can't see that's stepping in to this person and singing this amazing song. And I was praying so hard this last time in the jungle. I was like, please open the song in my heart. I want the song to open my heart. And it actually has started opening. And I find myself in this sort of practicing terrain of allowing the song to come through in healings and not be worried too much about what I'm doing, you know, because my brain is still watching everything like, does that even make sense? What does die, die, die even do? I mean, why are you saying these words and does it even mean anything? But I want to open that up. Did you have to practice to open that up? Or is that just sort of some natural place that you rest into you and it just happens through you? How does that show up for you as a channel of this music? Well, I think it helps to understand that the language of music usually, and this may not be totally true for everyone, but it certainly was true in my case, is that the language of music was kind of, I don't know what the word is really. The language of music has been Okay, what I'm hearing, stroked into place is what I just heard. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) the language of music has been stroked into place and it literally like layered and layered upon layer upon layer from the time I was a very, very little girl. And this is true for all of us because as a culture, we are influenced by the music and the sounds that we hear. And of course, the music and the sounds that our parents sing to us, which is really, really important. You know, that right now there's, there's so many uh, families that are musicless, you know, where the, 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 the generations that have come before us were always singing to their children. You know, music was always a part of the the growing and and becoming, being part of a collective part of one's culture. And I think my generation, which I think is the one like right after yours, my generation, right before yours, my generation was probably one of the, the last of this to have that be so embedded in childhood and through school. 
through elementary school because that started disappearing in the mid to late 1950s and the 1960s where music became extracted from our culture, from our educational system, and then basically put in place was electronic music as a substitute of um, community and family music making. And that's a really important thing to understand here. Yeah, and also like the fame aspect, like these people sing and the rest of us listen. Exactly, exactly. Where music has turned into performance orientation. And it was never like that. It was never like that. It was always the collective singing, the collective playing, the collective dancing. You did not have passive listeners, which is we have a whole collective consciousness now of passive listeners, passive watchers on your on your iPhones, on your iPads, on your computers, streaming music at the touch. Where is the playing? of it on a daily basis. And of course, because to to learn an instrument is a discipline. It's not the kind of thing that just happens overnight. It's not instant gratification. To to learn to master an instrument is takes time and it takes effort. So a lot of my musical background was stroked into place, you know, layer upon layer upon layer collectively through the family, through the educational system. And I explored multiple genres of music my entire life. And I went to conservatory, right? Music conservatory. I got a degree in vocal studies from the Manus College of Music in New York City. And I was deeply involved in the early early music and Renaissance music scene in New York City for a long, long time. And I have a big vocabulary. So that's my point. I have a big vocabulary. And what happens with people that are feeling these like musical downloads, and I tell this to my students all the time, you know, it's wonderful to sing with your intuition, but your intuition in some ways is both limited and guided essentially by your vocabulary because spirit can only speak through the words you know. <laughs> Otherwise, they're, you know, they're speaking words in language you don't know. And for some of us, you know, we're, we're graced and blessed with the fact that we're so open. Like I think of Yogananda putting a book under his pillow and going to sleep and waking up and knowing everything inside. Oh, wow. You know, I didn't have that experience. I wish I had. I would have done much better in school as a kid, <laughs> you know? But there's, there's the sense of when we're exposed and we're exploring and we're experimenting with our musical vocabulary, it just gets bigger and bigger. And then when we sit down, you know, with a harp like this or a bowl, right? And we we start to make sounds, we draw on that vocabulary. We draw on those, those culturally influenced ways of expressing ourselves. So, you know, oftentimes when people hear me sing, they just go, oh, well, that sounds so ancient. It's, it's angelic, but it's, but reminds me of Hildegard von Bingen, you know, the 11th century Christian mystic. And, you know, and that, and again, you know, that's that taste of all of those years of singing 
early music that were in me that I was so deeply attracted to. That was a soul. I still sing Hildegard von Bingen to this day, you know, just for my own pleasure, my own, my own exploration inside, inside of singing. So these things, you know, when, when I'm quiet and the team is talking to me and I'm singing, there will be influences and tastes of that, flavors of that, because they know that that's a vocabulary that I understand. And I think they're speaking to me. It's almost like, remember those, what was some of those movies? I can't remember the name of them, a Jodie Foster movie where they're, you know, they're learning the the ET culture that's come in and they're learning to speak and they, and they learn to communicate through sound and they go, do, 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 do. And it's like, oh, and they sing back, do, 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 do. Well, they're creating a common vocabulary. So when I'm, when I'm singing in that place, in that space where I feel the galactic connection or I feel the angelic connection, I feel like they're communicating with me through my vocabulary. No, I love that. That's so, that actually makes so much sense to me because there was this moment where in college, because I always sang too, I was in choir and all of these, I, I was always singing. But then I had this moment in college where I was like, I had to choose because I couldn't do like two creative things, I you know, or three creative things. So I had to pick like which creative things I was going to do. And I was like, well, I'm going to write and I'm going to do my art because I love visual art as well. And I realized it was this moment of, of choice, right? And so now that I'm going back and I'm kind of, I feel that it's like, because with art, I don't, I don't have to, I already know the rules. Like I know all the rules with the art. I know I, I've colored inside the lines. I've learned juxtaposition of color. I've learned all of those things, but now, now I don't have to, I can break all the rules. I can do whatever I want, you know, because I know the rules now and I've practiced. And then it was kind of like reminding me about how on the spiritual journey, of course, it's such a new experience. When you go on it, you've got to learn from people. You, I mean, at least I did. I needed to immerse myself in the four um, four agreements with Don Miguel Ruiz, for example, and like read that book 30 times until like now that's just old hat. It just comes right out of me and I just know it. So yeah, it's like you've got to practice people like everything you want to do. That's like so gorgeous. That all comes from, that genius comes from first stacking the library filled with the books, first stacking the musical library filled with the notes and the practice yeah. and how to intone and how to, how to um, not do a hard T and, you know, all of these things that we, we learn when we sing, right? It's, that's beautiful. Well, you know, I tell my students the story of Luciano Pavarotti. Remember the great tenor? He, he died, I think it was like 2003 or 2006 at some point in time. But he was one of the greatest tenors of, of our time. And he died of pancreatic cancer at the age of like 72 or 74, something like that. And three weeks before he died, he was still coaching. He was still studying with his coach. Okay? And he had started singing like in the womb, practically. Okay. And I feel the same way. I still study voice. I still have a teacher. I still explore new ways of and learning of, of making music. And recently I, I realized that 
I wanted to go back and and play piano again and just really look at the works of, uh, uh, it was particularly Bach was on my mind. I just read the book by James Rohde called Instrumental. It's an incredible book. If you've never, have you read it? Have you, oh, you must, you must. It's like a, it's a phenomenal book about his journey of awakening. And he's a, a brilliant classical pianist who had major mental breakdowns due to child abuse. And this was the story of him literally finding himself and healing himself through music. And it's prof- it was profound. And I was reading his story and so many things, you know, clicks and ahas kind of awoke me, woke up inside of me. But there was also the remembrance, the love that I have for Bach, you know, the composer, J.S. Bach, who's an 18th century Baroque composer, is probably one of the greatest, greatest composers in, in Western musical history. And the beauty of linear counterpoint moving together, these, these just melodic lines that just, they weave and they dance inside of each other. And when you sit down at the piano and you actually play these, and my piano skills are, I would say, pretty rudimentary, but I had to study in conservatory and I had to, and I had to, I play for myself and have been for years. But the whole process of sitting down and playing Bach and feeling the music and the melodies going into two hands, right hand and left hand. And those years when I was first studying piano, it was just such a chore, right? But now that I know what I know and my maturity, my my life experience, my love and passion for music, which has just grown exponentially over the years, you know, now for me to sit down and play, it's like, oh my goodness, feel what's happening in my body just inside the simplicity of doing this little two-part invention or prelude i can literally feel like the neural synapses i swear to god i can feel them just like going that is so cool that you can detect that now that's so amazing it is amazing it makes total sense what you're saying i completely yes of course because it's flowing through you well it's your hands your your it's going in your hands it's going in the eyes, it's going into the ears. So it's going into all the neural pathways. It's affecting the vagus nerve, right? It's going into the cerebral spinal fluid. So the whole consciousness of the composer, which is like, you know, here, J.S. Bach was writing back in, you know, this, this piece, pieces he was writing back in 1730, 1720, you know, something like that. But he was so brilliant and he was so connected with the divine transmission coming through him with that musical language again, right? And when you, when you listen to like the Goldberg variations or you listen to, you know, the unaccompanied cello sonatas or the, you know, the violin or the Brandenburg concertos, and you listen to the complexity of what is being woven together and the stability that that creates in the nervous system. It is amazing. It's amazing. There is so much that music has to give us. It's profound. And even if you aren't an expert, like you don't have to be right. I mean, to sing a song around the campfire is so beautiful. I know that I participate in some plant medicine ceremonies where like at the 
the last direction, everybody has an opportunity to sing or share a story or a poem or something that they wrote. And there was, there's been many times when there's been someone, I have a very strong voice. So when I sing, you know, it sounds beautiful and melodic and all of this kind of stuff. But there's been times when somebody has sung who had less confidence in their voice, let's say, or less um, training. And their song was so amazing the way that they were just embodying the feeling of it and communicating through their whole being this song this so humble transmission that it brings me to tears because it's so powerful the way they were able to do that and so it doesn't really it doesn't you don't have the best voice you know to touch people with your song i mean so let's sing you know like you were talking about like we've gotten into this habit of i don't know like saying, well, I must not be meant for that because look, that person's so amazing. Like this comparison game and just like, let that go. Because what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is that the experience of producing the music, of letting it come through you, through your voice, through your fingers on the piano, through your your interaction with the crystal bowl, your personal journey with the music is what is even more awakening than simply listening to someone who's been doing that. Yes, that is absolutely absolutely the truth. Absolutely the truth. You know, Dr. Mitchell Gaynor, who did all of this work before he died, um, sound healing. He was the chief of oncology at um, New York Hospital. And he brought in early on, early on in the kind of, you know, current sound healing regenesis, that he brought, he began bringing in Tibetan bowls and quartz crystal bowls into his practice. And one of the first things that he did to people that were receptive to this was he sat them down into their, in his office and he put a crystal singing bowl into their hand and he taught them the rudiments of toning and singing with their bowls. And the stories, the testimonials that come out of this, as people become, they called it, they were finding their soul song. I don't know if it's a soul song. I really am not sure about that because there is so much of when you, when we are sounding with sound bowls or with didgeridoos or with harps or with drums, you know, there's so much that that is being cast off in a release of, you know, what, what you call in your book, you know, that, that human crust. All right. And music, uh, music therapy, sound and vibrational healing has a lot to do. Uh, it can be just a profound, profound support and adjunct in any kind of therapy to help break through the crust. You know, it's, we, we spend so much time at, at, as a collective culture now, particularly in the West, closing down the voice, shutting down the voice, keeping ourselves silent, or comparing our voice with the great performers and the digitalized or perfected digital sounds of artists, that, you know, where you can't sing a wrong note anymore. It, it's forbidden, you know. <laughs> We're going to take the electronic tuner and tune you up so that your sound is perfect. And, you know, most people don't realize this, but probably 100% of what you listen to when you listen to recordings these days has gone through tremendous electronic adjustment to make sure that you're listening to the most perfect sound that can be produced. And so it's not a real, authentic, you know, flawed experience. It just, it, it, it can't be. And now we're, we're, we're so practiced in it 
it's the norm, right? Even when the artists are coming out there live, then they've been caught sometimes lip syncing, right? (laughs) To have it be perfect and, you know, exactly the way it was recorded as if that's the most important thing. But I don't know. I feel I have a different perspective, you know, from the shamanic healing work is like those songs come in the moment. They come for that person. They come for that person's heart and that person's healing and they just come through. And I don't know those songs. They just start to come through. I mean, this is really new for me because before that I was practicing and rehearsing Icaro songs that were recorded and I was learning them from my teachers. But since last November, when I made that prayer, like they're just coming through now and I'm just being invited to trust them and follow just, even if all I can do is sing, you know, whatever sound I can do to follow the melody of it. But like that song has power for that person. I don't even know why it has power, but I know it does because I get body chills like all up and down my body when I'm singing it for that person. It's kind of intense and beautiful. Yeah. I mean, we could just allow ourselves to be, right? I mean, that's what our ancestors did. They didn't have recording devices. <laughs> no. They didn't have ways of like recording it to sing it perfectly, you know? Didn't. But there was also like the gathering of sound making. The you gathering. Know, such a normal part of life. You didn't have television. You didn't have big public concerts. So what did you do on a Saturday night? Well, you got together as a community, as a village, and you got your instruments out, and everybody danced, and everybody sang, and everybody <sighs> played music. And this was what we did. We didn't go to the movies. We made music. We made music, and we didn't wait for somebody else to make it. We, no, tried, we, we did it dove ourselves. in and did it, too. We did it ourselves. And little kids were drumming and little kids were dancing. And, you, you know, we still see this in the in the Native American traditions. My my uh, daughter-in-law is married to a, a, a Navajo man and her children were raised um, dancing. They were raised dancing. They, I can't remember the kinds of dancing they'd done. I think turtle dancing or crow dancing, I don't remember. Um but you know that's how children were raised, and they and they were raised to 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 play the powwow drums, you know. And we used to do that, you know. We used to do that as a as a Judeo Christian culture, and we don't anymore. We don't. Yeah, and when we shut our voices down, I mean that's that's when we lose our hearts just a little bit. It's like that. A little bit here. Oh my God. Are you thinking what needs to be spoken? (laughs) That's an understatement. We lose our hearts completely and we want to die. I mean, that's just be honest. (laughs) I'm trying to be gentle, but I mean, that's the truth that we don't, you know, and so many women now, and, and speaking of Judeo Christianity, like that whole swath of humanity has just gotten this really sadistic message about women, you know, and women are sinful and women cause the whole fall of the earth and they need to suffer and all this kind of stuff that's still lurking in the background of every church, even if that's not what's being preached. It's still there in the in the cosmos of it, you know, and and we women feel it. And we're like, we are not supposed to talk about this or you can't say that or you can't just start singing. Right. That's not okay. You have to have permission. You know, like we, well, you can just start dancing down this. You have to have permission to do that. And we, we like stuck in this need for permission instead of following our hearts and letting our voice be heard and our hips move and sway and belly dance if we feel like it, you know, and let our bellies be poochy if we feel like having to be poochy and, you know, just kind of accepting the whole mess. 
of being a woman in this deconstruction of this whole system of pain. I just feel like this is why all of these beautiful tools are coming for us now and coming for us for our healing through feminine teachers. Look at you, this beautiful divine feminine teacher with the crystals, you know, this, uh, crystals are, you know, pretty much everyone's first stop, right? On their awakening process is the crystal <laughs> shop. <laughs> like, give me some crystal. <laughs> I don't know. Mine came through the bowls. So <laughs> I meant bowls, crystals. So. <laughs> crystal bowls. You're like bowls, crystals, they go together. And, <laughs> you know, but so many people, this is where they meet. You know, this is where they start to wake up is the stone kingdom the crystal kingdom. And, and this is powerful healing. Talk a little bit about, cause I know, I know we're about ready to go like in a little bit, but we have a little bit more time. What do you want to tell us about crystals? Cause I know that you have very passionate relationship with crystals and how healing they are. What do you want to share with people about their, you know, any little thirst they might have for crystals? Well, can I talk about crystal singing? Bowls? Yes. Crystal singing bowls, please. So just just imagine that you could take your most favorite, favorite crystal that you love. Let's just say it's amethyst or it's rose quartz or it's chrysoprase or it's, it could be turquoise. It could be citrine. It could be diamond. Okay. And you could put it into a form where you could actually hear what it sounds like. And when you place it in your hand, you can feel what it feels like. And when you play it, all that vibrational frequency of that consciousness goes into your cells, literally into your DNA, literally activates the skeletal structure of your, of your body, which is crystalline in nature, activating and opening the pineal gland, which is crystalline in nature. Your whole body, like an antenna, receiving the frequency of that vibration. So it's not simply a, and here I have a, a you know, piece of iolite. So it's not iolite. It's actually blue tourmaline. I'm holding that in my hand. So instead of just passive experience of just feeling this vibration through my palm chakras, where I'm just quietly sitting, meditating in openness, it's going through me like this. That's the experience of an alchemy. Okay. Now that's very alluring because <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we know what it's like when, uh, I mean, maybe you guys don't, but I do. I, and I'm sure many of you that are listening here, this you're also in love with crystals, <laughs> just guessing. But there's some crystals I work with, like Lemurian crystal or some other ones where I just put one on my forehead and one in my hands and on my heart, and I just lie back covered in crystals. <laughs> and then I just sit and meditate, right? And I can feel them just like pulsating through my body and like opening everything up. And by the time I get done with this half an hour meditation or whatever, I've just been lying there, but I have been wafting in and out of consciousness, just like oozing out, right? And and feeling the power of these amazing mm, portals of transcendence in my field and on my body. And I feel like a totally different person when I stand up. So now what you're saying is that and like times that by 10 or something. <laughs> like here, so I'm going <laughs> to give you something, Carrie, <laughs> because I have to, right? So here. Oh, we're going to get this. Like, oh my God, can you see this? Yes, I can. I'm going to mute myself so it comes through. So this is, um, this is Lemurian seed on gold. Okay, this is a Lemurian seed crystal. And 
an aqua aura gold. So it's holding the high heart turquoise frequency. Did you hear it? I could feel waves of ocean. Like it was so beautiful. Yeah. Just like mermaids mm-hmm. and mermen, just like waves and waves of of watery fluidity. Yeah. Wow, really beautiful. This is a way to experience crystal in its sonic form. So it's- yeah, and there's like a memory that that triggers too for me. Like I was seeing that and I was like, oh, this is what it felt like too. Because it's also what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And so this is like the the memory of Lemuria. Wow. That's so amazing. Wow. Yeah. So now I'm thirsty for crystals. (laughs) (laughs) They, They only made, they only made two of these. It's so amazing. I, I have not seen a, a single one like this particular one. We have Lemurian seed crystal bowls that are smaller than this, but this is just like this glorious one-of-a-kind being. But yeah. And so, you know, the beauty of this, right? If you can see the stem. Yeah. Okay. So the stem is pure quartz crystal. So I'm holding pure quartz crystal in my hand. And does that vibrate your hand as well when you're playing? Oh, Vibrates your right, vibrates your entire skeletal system. Wow! Into, into your into your bones, it's going everywhere. The sound is going everywhere. And of course, if I'm using this is a practitioner bowl, and then if I want, I can just direct the sound any way I want. Wow! Body, right? Or if I'm working with a group of people. I'm doing a sound experience or meditation or a a personal session with somebody. I can move this sound. You know, you can clear and balance, tonify. You can sweep the aura with this. You can, you know, wherever you are directed um, as a practitioner. Mm. This This is for, you know, professional use. But really, I mean, I... It. I hold this bowl. I play this bowl for myself. I just feel it. I feel it in my heart. You know, I can I can place this right over my heart. I can shift and move the energy. 
could spread it out. Mm. I can rest in it. You know, I can really just simply play the sound and rest in the sound. You know, this is an experience of crystal that that uh, is very different. It's 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 almost as if the consciousness of the crystal kingdom itself just delighted in in being able to experience itself in a new way. And so uh, instead of this kind of two-dimensional consciousness of the stone kingdom, you know, it, it, it was like, well, what happens if we shift form? Yeah, and bring all that healing in the sound. And everything comes back to sound anyway. I mean, sound is the original creation. And so the sound is very healing, bringing us back home again. Bringing us back home. A different kind of dinner bell, if you, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> But then, you know, John Bolliard, who's an amazing sound healer, he created these little, uh, like these little tiny uh, crystal tuning forks. Oh, yes. You know, where you can take the tuning fork and you can. Yes, I've had people do that. Yes. But then if you're, if, you're, if you're listening and not watching what she's saying, is that the tuning fork can actually be vibrated and then placed on a certain crystal close to one of your chakras, for example, where you might well, need actually, some healing. This one, this one actually makes sound when it's played on it. I don't know if you can. Oh, very cool. Yes. So I'm not, I'm not tapping the tuning fork and then vibrating it. As soon as I put it on it and it's, and it's, and only works for crystals. It vibrates the frequency of the crystal through the tuning fork. And that is also really healing. Yeah, I've had that happen during um, vibrational healing sessions with some friends of mine that do that. That's so powerful. Oh, gosh. I just love you so much. I'm so grateful for this interview and all that you shared. I mean, I got to I got to swim with the mermaids in Lemuria. I mean, this is a very awesome broadcast. What else can I say? If you want to swim with the mermaids in Lemuria, listen to this broadcast. <laughs> so gorgeous. So I know that you have so much to teach people about these crystal bowls and healing. And I'm definitely going to give people your um, website and all your links and everything. And um, you have a free gift, actually, an excerpt of the new Crystal Singing Bowl ebook that you're writing and putting together. So tell us a little bit about that before we head out. Well, so many of my students over the years have just asked me and to put something together because they had all these questions. And when people first enter into the world of crystal symbols, they have a lot of questions. Well, how does this work? What are their benefits? You know, what do I do? When you walk into the world of crystal bowls, it's overwhelming now because there's so much to learn, to experience, to grow. And so I wanted to give that. I wanted to respond to that need. And I started out by going up oh, by saying, well, I'll just do a little tiny ebook. And, and it turned into 160 pages. 
it was just like, it went like that. So now we have a really bona fide book with a cover and it's getting printed and we're going to have an ebook version and it's coming out, I think December 9th is going to be the date that it gets released or right around the, the first, second week in December. Uh, we're just putting the last, the last tiny little things on it right now, but the cover is beautiful. The photographs on the inside are just amazing. And there's all kinds of topics in there on, you know, what are the benefits of playing? And what about, you know, how do I balance my chakras? And, you know, all these questions that people ask me about bowls when they're first kind of coming in. What are alchemies and what do they do? And, you know, what's the best way? And can I play for my pets? You know, can I play outside? Can I, how do I travel with my bowls? You know, that kind of thing. So if you have ever thought about crystal singing bowls, if you've ever wanted to learn about them, this is a brilliant place to start. Fantastic. Yes. And it saves you from answering all those questions. Just give them a book. Here's the book. <laughs> Read the book. I'll see you later. Got other things to do. I'm going to go be with my crystal bowls now. So, <laughs> so well, awesome, everyone. Uh, gosh, what a great episode. I know you people think this episode was fantastic. Come on now. So share it out. Share it out with all your friends, all your friends who are addicted to crystals, share this out. And, uh, and let's, you know, let's spread some more crystal love on the planet. I think we all agree there can be more love. We can handle more love. Let's have more love, more healing, more joy, more high frequencies, more ascended vibrations coming through into our hearts and opening our hearts to be more kind, more kind to each other. So share this episode out. Thank you so much for doing that. Leave us a review and a like and a share and all the stuff. Appreciate you. And oh, by the way, here comes your kisses. I did not forget your kisses are coming. Would you like to join me in giving everybody kisses? Here they come, everybody. Here we go. Love you so much. And we'll see you guys next time on Soul Nectar Show. Bye for now. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Soul